This time on episode 392 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark. We talk weekly Marvel news, including Marvel box office results, future MCU premiere plans, the new Hawkeye Disney Plus series trailer, and A.C. Bradley's one regret about the Doctor Strange What If episode, and your feedback. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Consultant Chris. I'm Consultant Jason. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Thursday, September 16th, 2021, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Wakanda landwide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record. Gang, happy National Play-Doh Day! Woo! It's a national day for every day, isn't there? There really is. Yeah, but this is such a fun one. Yeah, Play-Doh's cool. In all honesty, this one was probably a company sellout to National Day Calendar from Hasbro because the company Hasbro has recognized National Play-Doh Day since 2006. (laughs) It is also Mexican Independence Day. That is not Cinco de Mayo. That is today, 16 de septiembre. And sort of related. National Guacamole Day. I can get down with National Guacamole Day. I celebrated earlier. Well, I guess that's pretty good that I decided I was going to just go out and get Mexican then for lunch instead of eating my peanut butter sandwich. Yep. All right. We have all celebrated something today. And if you want to combine everything, you can make Mexican food out of Play-Doh. And still eat it. And still, technically, you can eat it. It does not taste good, but you can eat it. I just have something against eating something that used to be wallpaper cleaning. (laughs) There is that. Okay. Anyway, we can get into the ins and outs of Play-Doh later, but let's get on with the rest of the show. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes. Because what? I like anime. If you'd like to talk to us about large Gundams in your MCU, you can catch us on our website, legendsofshield.com. You can leave us messages about making your costume look like Vegeta's and uh, leave us a voicemail about that at our voicemail, 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You want to talk about how anime might have warped Killmonger's mind, you can leave us a message on our Facebook page at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. If you want to blame it all on Sailor Moon, you can tweet us at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Twitter. If you need recommendations on which anime to watch, you can ask Lauren on our YouTube channel. Just leave a comment at youtube.com slash geek. If you want to ask me about the anime role I recently voiced, you can ask on Discord, but I'm hardly ever there. But 
You can go on Discord at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. First of all, introductions all around. Chris, welcome back to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Always nice to be back, and thank you for having me. And if somebody wants to hear you on your own podcast, what is that podcast and where can they find you? Well, you can go over to playcomics.com where you can listen to, surprise, surprise, a show called Play Comics, where I grab a video game and a guest and we look at a video game based on a comic. And sometimes that video game is actually based on an anime, which in itself was based on a manga, which is close enough. So we look at anime stuff and I'm about (laughs) to come up on a season that I am calling Magageddon because there are a crap ton of anime and manga based games on PS2. Yeah. I think you just got your first co-host for that. Yes, so it's from that right there. <laughs> oh, yes. I was planning on that. Yeah. So, Jason, thank you very much for coming on. We needed to have you on tonight because of your thought process like Killmonger. I couldn't think of anybody else <laughs> that could think like Killmonger <laughs> than you. So thank you for coming. And where can people find you? I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'll take it as one. So people can find me over at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com for a little podcast called Smoking and Drinking in Space, oddly enough. Or you can find us also at creativebraincandy.com. All right. So we can talk all about that stuff later. In the meantime, we got a episode of What If to Cover. What if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? Season one, episode six of the What If series premiered on Disney Plus Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. The IMD description of the episode reads, an American soldier called Killmonger rescues Tony Stark when his Humvee is attacked in Afghanistan. Lauren, who directed this episode? Should be a familiar name by now. The series was directed, the series and this episode, were directed by Brian Andrews, who has three directing credits starting in 1999, including three of Men in Black the series, five of Jackie Chan Adventures, and six of What If. Also, has 41 credits as a storyboard artist, and as a writer, nine total credits. The writer for this episode was Matthew Chauncey. He has two writing credits starting in 2018, including 16 episodes of Three Below Tales of Arcadia, And nine episodes of What If has a story editor. It's also written several of the episodes, including this one. Chris, who's the showrunner for this wonderful series? The showrunner for this series, as has been the whole series, is AC Bradley. She has one producing credit starting in 2021, the nine episodes here of What If. Yep, and I think she's doing a pretty decent job because I think I know where this is all heading now, even though the individual episodes uh, might not be all that great, but we'll talk about that later. We're going to run down the voice cast of this episode as we have with all the episodes that we've covered so far, and it starts with Jeffrey Wright. He plays the Watcher, and you might know him from his roles on Westworld, The Hunger Games, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace. Chris, you seem to be the watcher expert so far on this podcast. I've listened to all the podcasts back in the last week, and you seem to have the most to say about the watcher. So I want to ask you, were you happy with the watcher's performance in this episode? I was really happy with this one. Not quite as happy as I was for the Doctor Strange episode, because that interaction with the actual characters in the story is always fun. But in this one, he actually seemed to 
be a part of the story rather than just somebody who is talking about something he's heard third hand. Yeah. I don't see the watcher playing a, a huge role in all of these episodes, except for, of course, the Doctor Strange episode where he actually talked with Doctor Strange. He, he seems more just kind of like a background character who acts as a narrator along along the way. But I like the concerned face that they drew on that last panel whenever Killmonger was looking at the sunset in Wakanda and that distressed face on the watcher as he was watching Killmonger in the background was a nice touch. He is not liking what he has seen. And I think that's going to lead into what we see in the last final three episodes of season one here. So Lauren, I'm going to turn this one over to you because I think you're the largest Michael B. Jordan fan here. And uh, I don't know if he's going to make it the MCU or not. What do you think? I think he has a bright future ahead of him. So Michael B. Jordan returned as Eric Stevens, Killmonger, and uh, Prince, I'm blanking out on his uh, Wakandan name, but he is known for The Wire, the TV series of Friday Night Lights, the TV series of Parenthood, the movie Chronicle, the Fantastic Four movie that we're not really going to talk about, Creed, Creed 2, and Space Jam 2, A New Legacy, which... I'm still kind of disappointed that they didn't go with the Internet's version of what should have been Space Jam 2, where you get Michael B. Jordan and it's all anime characters, because, again, he's a huge nerd. I haven't seen Space Jam A New Legacy. Chris, have you seen it? I haven't seen it either. I, I don't know if I'm ready to see that one yet. Jason, have you seen it? Oh, no. No, no. I wanted to watch it, and then it was off of HBO and I hadn't made time. So uh, at some point, I'm going to end up watching it. It'll be back. I know Haley was a huge original Space Jam fan, so she has probably seen it and <laughs> could comment on it, but she's not here right now. The original Space Jam soundtrack was amazing. It's true. Jason, you weren't here last week, but we did get a little John Favreau last week. And I don't know, I, I think he's kind of moving into his own in the mcu I, th I think you know with his first performance last week this week's performance is pretty good so i don't know what do you think about john favreau here i mean I've, I've liked the happy character since we saw him in iron man he came into his own during uh what iron man 2 and yeah he's he's a fun character i like seeing him in spider-man the interactions mm -hmm. that he has with peter are always fun. And then, you know, he's dating Aunt May and kind of envious on that. But yeah, I think John Favreau is a good actor and I really like his directing too. So he's got some pretty good directing jobs. I like the fact that he actually punched out Obadiah on, on the stage. Right. That was, that was so good. So Chadwick Boseman reprised his role as Black Panther. And a lot of people thought that episode two, what if T'Challa became Star-Lord was going to be his finale performance in the MCU. He was actually listed for four total episodes of what if this is number three. I think I know what number four is going to be. Number two and three were kind of short lived, but I can't wait for number four and see it's not going to spotlight him, but he's going to be a big part of it, I think. Anyway, you might know him from his roles in Lincoln Heights, 42 Marshall, Get On Up. And of course, he played Black Panther and T'Challa in the MCU before his untimely death. 
so far, every episode that he's been in, I've ended up crying. It's just, it's still, I mean, it's like Carrie Fisher. That, that hurts not going away for a while. Jason, I know you teared up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I tear up at the drop of a hat anyway, so. <laughs> hey, join the club. <laughs> so, Lauren, why don't you take the next one? Uh, I would love to. So, reprising her role as Queen Ramonda, we have Angela Bassett, who is a legend. You might know her from such things as Kindergarten Cop, which I forgot she was in. Malcolm X, Waiting to Exhale, another fantastic soundtrack. Contact, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Supernova, which I forgot she was in. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Meet the Robinsons. ER, the TV series. Green Lantern. Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen. Mission Impossible Fallout, American Horror Story, where she was amazing as Marie Laveau, Bumblebee, and 911, the TV series. Chris, I think this was an awesome adaptation of the character because she became an action hero. I really love this one. And I mean, just the fact that they went in there and, oh yeah, you're the general, let's go. Like actually leaning into it, letting her do her thing and not just having her be a side character that didn't really do anything. I don't know. It's just something about the women of Marvel that are really connecting with me. I loved that so much. And it's like, when he says general, I was like, okay, Okoye. Oh, it's Ramonda. And of course that makes sense. Of course, if you have your head of state as the Black Panther, of course, the second in command is going to be the head of the Dora Milaje. That's just, that's awesome. And I love yeah, I mean, Angela Bassett is a great actress as well. I loved her in the American Horror Story series. I thought the voice acting that she did in the episode was fine. It took me a little bit to actually hear Angela Bassett in the character, but because for some reason it sounded different than when she portrayed the character in the movie. So, but I mean, it was good. So we're two-thirds of the way through this series right now, and you brought up a great point there, Jason, so I want to expound on it. So three guys on this podcast were in the podcast that we did on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the first episode of What If, and we talked about how important the voice acting was to a Marvel property. Lauren, you're the voiceover artist amongst us, and we wanted to have you on board in that conversation. I know we've talked a little bit about it in the intervening episodes, but I wanted to <laughs> let you have your say on how important voice acting is in these Marvel series and how important it is to have the actual actors playing themselves in the Marvel series. Okay. So, yes, I am very biased. I have opinions. Even before I started working in the voiceover industry, I had very strong opinions on voice acting. And this episode, everyone did a fantastic job. I also think that more people in this episode from the original cast have done voiceovers than possibly in previous episodes. I'd have to go back and check. But yeah, it all sounded really good. Most of the characters, most of the actors came back as their characters, which again is amazing. You don't always want that as we saw with Sebastian Stan. Very pretty very good physical actor with his first performance he got better he got better but i there was also i think less nuance to the part in his second episode okay so i asked jason about the voiceover acting in the previous episode 
I asked Chris about video games, which is separate. So I want you to answer that one too, about how important it is to have the actual actor voicing themselves in the video game. Okay. The answer is not necessarily. You want the strongest performance. And as we've seen, some actors who are fantastic on a film aren't great behind the booth. It's two different sets of skills. As I've mentioned, I can do voice acting all day. I could not do in front of camera acting because I can't control my face. But you have the actors that have shown up that are very strong. In some games, like that um, Wolverine game that came out in like 2003, 2004, sometime around there, Mark Hamill voiced Wolverine instead of Hugh Jackman. And for the purposes of that game, it was perfect because you wanted the attitude, not the voice match. And there's some characters, like I think, honestly, my opinion, more iconic characters like Marvel characters, Star Wars characters, you know, these James Bond, these long running series where, yeah, you have the attachment to the actor. I mean, of course you do. But what you want to come across is the character. And in cases where the actor isn't available or that's just not in their skill set, you want somebody who can carry that feel. Jason, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so I agree with Lauren. It's nice to have the actor that does the actual acting on the, in the live version voice the character in the animated version if they're strong enough to do it. And I think Sebastian Stan is a great example. He's a great dynamic character on the screen, but whenever you just hear his voice, either he doesn't have the experience or he just doesn't have the chops to be a good voice actor, if that makes sense. But even some voice actors who who do have the experience and the chops sometimes just phone it in, I guess, for a paycheck, and you can tell. Yeah. You can definitely tell. You really can. Something else that I wanted to say with regards to that. What excites me whenever I see like so-and-so is returning as this character, the reason I get excited isn't necessarily because they're coming back as that character. It's because they have enough of an attachment to this character that they are willing to come back. Like Liam Neeson in Star Wars The Clone Wars. He had like a really contentious relationship with the role for years after because episode one wasn't what a lot of fans were expecting. But then he came back and it was like this kind of like, oh, all is forgiven. He's back in the fold moment. And of course, he did a great job. I mean, it's Liam Neeson. He's done voiceover roles before. But it's that fact that somebody cared enough to get back in the booth to show up again when they're not getting the huge Marvel paycheck. That's what I like about people returning. So, Chris, you also have the actors that can really add to the feel of the anime, like Evangeline Lilly that we had last week. I mean, she really brought out the great performance in that What If Zombies episode last week. Yeah, I mean, she. I think she kind of stole the show when she was there. And there's just something about, I think, for voice acting that a lot of screen actors can't get to where you're still acting. And I think that's the part that they're missing. Like every single good voice actor that I've seen videos of them doing their part, 
they're acting out their part. I mean, just go watch Robin Williams and it's exactly as you would expect Robin Williams to be. I loved watching videos of Robin Williams voicing like the genie. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was amazing. That was one of the things in, um, I took a class with one of the voice directors for Blizzard a couple of years ago. And that was one of the things that she impressed on us. She's like, look, don't be afraid to move around and get physical. Like Deborah Wilson, who used to be on Mad TV, now she mostly does voiceover work, but she will get into it. Like if she's playing a monster, she'll be like crawling on the ground to get into the mindset. It's really cool, honestly. From a sound engineering standpoint, as long as you can mic it, it's good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? So Lauren, why don't you uh, continue on here? Okay, returning as Okoye, we have Denai Gria, who you might know from The Walking Dead as Michonne. She's also, I didn't realize this, she was in the HBO series Treme. Oh. And yeah, she also did a great job. And then we also have uh, a newcomer to voice acting. His name is Andy Serkis. He was in such roles as Lord of the Ring, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The Return of the King. He was in 13 Going on 30. He was in King Kong, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The Adventures of Tintin, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, War for the Planet of the Apes, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Sky... Well, you know, actually, he's been in quite a bit. And he reprised his role as Ulysses Claw. Moving on, this is a newcomer to the What If series, Don Cheadle. You might recognize him from his roles in Volcano, Boogie Nights, Mission to Mars, Fail Safe TV movie. I want to take a second to talk about this thing. This thing scared the crap out of me. So it was out, in, I think, in 2002, 2003 timeframe. It was black and white, and it had uh, like George Clooney in it, and it was all about uh, Armageddon, you know, World War III, and you tell the machine to launch. And the machine is going to launch no matter what. Kind of a little bit like War Games, except for there's more man in the loop and stuff like that. This is definitely more suspenseful. It was a real-time, on-TV, live-streaming event. And there were some mistakes in it, but the whole thing just... It was like, oh my gosh, this scared the crap out of me. Also, John Cheadle was in Rush Hour 2, Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13. He was also in Space Jam, A New Legacy, and the TV series Black Monday. And speaking of voice work, he is also the corrected voice of Donald Duck in the new DuckTales series. I didn't know that. So <laughs> I like Don Cheadle. I especially really like him as his character in the, in the Ocean series. In fact, I thought he, uh, I thought he was British for a while <laughs> and uh, was just faking an American accent in all of his other movies. He's a good actor. I enjoyed him. I thought he did okay in this episode. It sounded like Don Cheadle. It sounded like his character, but it, there wasn't a lot of dynamics in his voice. Yeah, the character model didn't look much like him. He's got this nice, calm demeanor to him, even on screen, right? When a lot of things are going wrong, of course, he can act out and that sort of thing. But he's got this nice, calm demeanor. And he had that calm demeanor within the voiceover for the anime here. So I caught it from that. But I think he would have been a little bit more animated during the fight at the end. Yeah. So uh, one real quick Don Cheadle recommendation that i can make and i mean real quick this video is like five minutes long 
There was a video from Funny or Die, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, where Don Cheadle was Captain Planet. And it is, I keep having to go back and watch it periodically because it's hilarious. If you grew up on Captain Planet, I mean, it's great. Even if you didn't grow up on Captain Planet, it's very it. And uh, Don Cheadle as psychopath Captain Planet is just, (laughs) is so good. (laughs) I've shown it to people who are way too young for Captain Planet, have no idea what they're looking at. They still think it's hilarious. It's great. I got to find that now. The next two I'm going to go over really fast because we talked about them before. And quite frankly, they didn't have a ton of lines in this episode. Paul Bettany reprised his role as Jarvis in this episode, not Vision, but Jarvis. And uh, he had a few lines and he was referred to a lot, but he wasn't really predominant as far as the voice acting. Also, Leslie Bibb reprised her role as Christine Everhart. She's the reporter in the MCU, the WHIH reporter that's been in there since Iron Man 2, I think. And so those two reprised their roles. Now, moving on. We had John Connie returning as T'Chaka, the king of Wakanda. And this is another like, oh, hey, he's back thing. And then we had also returning from last week. Mick Wingert as Tony Stark. Was that last week or was that the week before? Actually, it goes all the way back to Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to remember, did he show up like specifically last week or was it the week before? No, I don't think the zombies talked. He did not talk as a zombie last week, no. But yeah, he has been Tony Stark in a lot of the animated stuff in the video games, including Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is an amazing show. Go watch it. And as Obadiah Stane, we had Cliff Vandenhuvel, who has been voices in things like Star Trek Into Darkness, The Last Ship, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, This Is Us, and Star Wars Squadrons. Yeah, Kiff has an amazing ability to go between voice acting and actual in-person acting. So if you take a look at IMDb, it's all over the place between voiceover with animation, video games, and actually live action stuff. As a note in here, I wanted to put this in here specifically because of Obadiah Stain. Jeff Bridges currently is recovering. He just came out with this. And I think he came out with this because of the What If episode last week. Jeff Bridges currently is recovering from COVID-19 and is in cancer remission. So obviously, I don't think he could have participated in this going through cancer treatment. Now, people do, but... People do. Chadwick Boseman yeah. did. But I think Jeff was focused on other things. So I just want to mention that. And I don't know if that had anything to do with the casting or not, but just wanted to give an homage to Jeff. Yeah, because Jeff Bridges has done voice work before. In fact, my favorite voice work of his was The Last Unicorn. We also had Beth Hoyt as Pepper Potts. Doesn't have a ton of IMDb credits, but she was in Inside Amy Schumer, the TV series Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the TV series for a couple episodes, and Better Call Saul, the TV series for a couple episodes. Mike McGill voiced General Ross, and the only credit of note that I could see of him is Police Academy Four Citizens on Patrol, and Lauren, the darling of this. As Shuri, we had Ozioma Akaga, who has been in things like Two Broke Girls. She voices Bumblebee on Teen Titans Go. And she is a returning person t- 
to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she played Tamar, Darius Davis's widow, in Runaways. Man, she had a mean streak on her. She was plotting and everything. I loved hearing her as Shuri and then visioning her as Tamar once I figured out who was voicing her. So yeah, that was the voiceover cast for this episode. Now, the big thing that I came out of this episode with and the thing that we're going to start with is Killmonger's plans. I mean, come on. To get to where he wanted, because you know he wanted to be Black Panther, but to get to where he wanted to be, there were so many things that had to happen. I mean, oh my gosh. He graduated from Annapolis at 19. I know that was in the mo- in the MCU as well. I'm just going to tell you, that's not possible. You can't even start the academy until you're 17, so there's no way you could graduate at 19, and you have to stay all four years. The only time that that didn't happen was World War II when they graduated the senior class and the junior class after Pearl Harbor. So that's the only way that you could have gotten out at 19. Then he graduated at MIT at 20. Now that it's totally possible. Matter of fact, people have graduated with their master's degrees and doctorates from younger from MIT than 20. Then he had to go rescue Tony Stark in the field as he had advanced knowledge of the attack. Why did he have to rescue him? He, if he had advanced knowledge, he could have just stop the attack. He didn't have to rescue him. Then but- he had to blind stop. Well, We'll talk about this in a second. Then he had to blindside Obadiah Stane at the press conference on the stage. He apparently is an expert computer hacker because he hacked into Obadiah's financials and hacked Jarvis security, which everybody seemed to just gloss over. He had to kill Claw and bring as a tribute to Wakanda. I know that was in the MCU as well. And then he had to fight the battle at Wakanda against the Gundams just to win the Wakandians' favor in order to be able to become black pant that is a that so many things can go wrong so are you familiar with the term xanatos gambit yes no so for those who don't know there's a website called tv tropes if you want to lose hours of your time to article hopping go there yes but there is this one trope in in regards to overly complicated plans called the xanatos gambit takes its name from the Gargoyle series in the 90s, and the bad guy there, David Xanatos, who would do these like, oh my God, how could you be accounting for all of this type of plans? And uh, this was very much a Xanatos gambit. I can get complicated plans, but the order that this had to happen in and then have something occur in order to make it to the next stage, it's just unrealistic to me because no plan survives first contact at all and he seemed to have planned it all to the end from the beginning and it was just oh my gosh just a little bit too complicated for me i don't know chris what do you think uh, i mean this was just a rube goldberg machine whose purpose is to turn on your next rube goldberg machine through a chain of like five times because there's so many things in here that he couldn't control at all i mean how do you account for oh no what if a random person it just saves Tony faster. I've actually given this a lot of thought. I think the specifics weren't planned out so much as the broad strokes. You start with wanting to get into Wakanda, get into a position of power so you can enact your big plan of revenge. And then it's like, okay, well, how do I do that? I need to bring them something. And how do I get them to trust me? I need to do something. If I can cause the thing and you know, basically pulling a um, an Ozymandias and Watchmen 
where you are instrumenting the thing that you will then protect the people from. So then it's like, okay, well, how am I going to do this? Well, I need somebody to give me the funding and the tech. Well, how do I do that? You probably had a list of people and happened to be like, okay, Tony Stark is in this area. I'm going to come to this area. Maybe he was the one behind the whole leaking his information to the Ten Rings because you want to ensure that he's going to be there. I think there was a lot in there that's left up to chance, but I also think that given what we've seen of Killmonger, especially in this episode, that he's very much the person to not let plans happen. He's the person to make a plan happen. He is making himself be in this area. He's leaking probably the information. He is insinuating himself into Tony Stark's life so he'll get the trust. He's insinuating himself into the Wakandans' lives so that he will get trust. It's all a slow creep up to where he wants to be. I, I, I disagree because there's too many variables in play that could have just thrown his plans into the trash. So first off, what if a stray bullet had killed Tony before he was able to get there and help him out? And second, I don't buy the fact that he can pick up a couple of hundred pound bomb and chuck it like a football and not have it far enough away that when it blows up, it doesn't kill him and Tony anyway. And then, yeah, there's just too many variables in play that he couldn't control. I agree with Chris that just totally destroys the plan if anything goes wrong. Pointing out the fact that he was able to hack Jarvis was a great call, too. I mean, Jarvis is a really sophisticated piece of AI software that has a lot of security features that not even Ultron could ultimately break. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't, he seemed too good at everything he needed to do in order to make this plan work. Another thing that I was thinking of in terms of this episode, which I could go either way on, but I'm going to throw it out there as kind of unbelievable, is Tony Stark was excessively impulsive. He immediately installed Killmonger as the head of Stark Security, then COO, just in rapid succession. He built Project Liberator without a second thought. Literally, he's like, hey, man, let's go. Let's build this thing. It's a Gundam. Woohoo. And then he says, okay, we are definitely going to do this mission to buy Vibranium, which co ultimately causes his death. So all that happens impulsively. And I know Tony Stark in the MCU is mildly impulsive, but this was excessively impulsive. This is also a Tony Stark who has not had the character growth. We know that he was this, I'm not going to say isolated because he had Rhodey, he had Pepper, he had Obadiah, but he's this person that has always been the smartest person in the room, that has always felt slighted by his dad that has always been kind of the outcast in the room for being smarter than everyone in the room. So you present him with somebody who he sees as on his level and he's going to want to trust that person. This is not the Tony Stark that had the trust burned out of him by Obadiah. But this was also a Tony Stark that seemed like he was hopped up on cocaine and on an anti-cynicism pill too. This wasn't the Tony Stark that we saw even at the beginning of Iron Man, before he had his ordeal in the caves and, and decided to build the Iron Man suit. This was a really chipper, hyperactive Tony Stark that I don't think was written well. I don't like this version of Tony Stark. 
I mean, on the third hand, though, this is a Tony Stark who had a deus ex machina come in and basically give him house money to live on. If you're living on years that you feel like you never should have had, I don't know about you guys, but I would definitely go make some giant killer robots. (laughs) I am going to actually, despite, okay, I'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who is like, okay, well, how do I make all this fit? That's the fanfic reader writer in me. I will say that I did not like this version of Tony Stark because he reminded me too much of fanfiction Tony Stark, where let's take all of this stuff and just kind of throw common sense out the window because Tony is a manic pixie dream guy with money and robots. And that's a little of what he was coming off as here. So, okay, fair. Now we've been, I've been very negative so far. There was a bright side to this and Chris actually brought it up in the show notes about the villain arc of the episode. I really liked here. Not only that we finally see a what if episode focusing on a villain, but we see an episode focusing on a villain that doesn't take what I thought would be the super easy way out and just say, oh, hey, what if the villain was good? We have the villain still getting to be the villain. They just get to be even more villainy. But wasn't the Doctor Strange episode also about a villain? I mean, Doctor Strange basically decided that his need for, oh my gosh, her her name just escaped uh Dr. What's-Her-Face, Christine, Christine, Christine to live outweighed the fact that he was tearing the, his universe apart. Yeah, but in that, you have what if the good guy was a villain? True. And in this one, you have, I thought they were going to take the, just the complete mirror of that. And what if the villain was a good guy? Yeah. So that, again, fanfic, that's one of my favorite Black Panther alternate universe fics is what if Killmonger was brought in, you know, was taken after his dad was murdered and raised with a loving family. I just really like fluff sometimes. But this, I was expecting like, oh, Tony Stark's going to be like, oh my God, once he has support and stuff, like, is this going to be? No, we find out that he's been, he was planning to screw Tony Stark over the whole time, kind of. He was like, yeah, I, I really was hoping that I wouldn't have to kill you. So that was kind of refreshing. It's like, oh, this isn't how I expected it to go. There were a lot of main character deaths in here. And I know we've had episodes like the zombie episodes and uh, what if Earth's Mightiest Heroes weren't their heroes or whatever that episode title was. I can't even remember it anymore. So you had Rhodey die, you had T'Challa die, and you had Tony Stark die. Those are three huge characters in the MCU that died. And uh, you even had dual funerals with Rhodey and with T'Challa there, both in their separate countries because the countries are now at war with each other because of what happened. Yeah, it was a heavy handed episode. And Lauren, I know you have something to say about that. We'll wait on that just in a second. <laughs> I do have some issues, some further issues with this episode. Like, how were the drones made of vibranium alloy? Because the buy never went down. Remember that Killmonger and Claws, they left with the vibranium. They packed up the vibranium and they left. I don't know how the United States military was able to conjure enough enough vibranium to not only power the Gundams, we'll just call them Gundams, to power the Gundams, let alone make them of the alloy, because that is exactly what the Wakandians said. They were made of vibranium alloy. The U.S. only had the ring. That's all they had. I don't know how 
that happened. They didn't go into it. So it's a little plot hole, in my opinion. But I thought Klaus said that whenever he was dropping off Killmonger at Wakanda, he said, so this is what you've been doing with my vibranium. So it seems like after the attack, he went ahead and sold the vibranium to the Americans. Oh, okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It just wasn't shown on screen. Right. Yeah, that's the downside of a 30-minute episode. You miss out on a lot of the smaller details that make a story make sense sometimes. And I think that's the I think that's what's kind of lacking in or or one of the problems with these what if episodes is that they're only half an hour long. And so they're trying to cram a ton of story in not very much time and they're cutting corners. They're making it so fast paced that the the pacing of the episode itself is it feels off and uh, feels feels rushed. So you don't you don't get a lot of the exposition that you need to make the episode clear. There's some episodes where I feel like that works in its favor. Like uh, I'm blanking right now. What was the second episode? I remember really liking the pacing on that one. The zombie episode. What if T'Challa was Star Wars? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that one. That one in the zombie episode, I think, did really well with that sort of very fast-paced movement. But then you have the stuff like this, where it's more based on stuff that we've already seen. But we're like, okay, but how did they get to this point? Like, you're filling in the broad strokes, but there's so much smaller stuff that could make it make more sense and make it have more impact. And I think the fact that it is kind of more based on things that we are familiar with, that, you know, we're, we're familiar with the story of Iron Man. We're familiar with the story of Black Panther. This is a mashup together, and it kind of suffers for trying to be two movies in one in half an hour. One thing that this episode was able to do is they brought forth a very unique path forward for Pepper Potts and Shuri. It was a path forward that you don't see in the MCU because Pepper doesn't have her platform as being the head of Stark Industries and it being Tony Stark's girlfriend slash wife. And you get to see what would happen with her alone. And it's very interesting. She does need some help and help comes in terms of Shuri. Shuri, for her part, is younger because this happens earlier in the MCU. So first of all, she's younger. And then second of all, she's starting to piece things together on her own and knows that she needs help in order to make things happen so she comes to pepper so i did like the two of them coming together as the u.s is about to fire as many jericho missiles as they have into wakanda so i, I did like that at the ending i like that path there uh, jason what do you think about pepper's path through this episode <laughs> so she seemed awfully suspicious of everything at the beginning and that it didn't seem like the pepper pots that we've seen from the movie her path forward, I mean, she's still a fairly high executive, I would imagine, in, in Stark Industries. So she still has access to most of everything, if not everything that Tony, all of his records, all of his files, things like that. So the pair up, I think, was with, with Shuri and Pepper, I think was a, a good moment. And it just now dawned on me, whatever you, because I, I had that question. I was like, why is Shuri so short? in the episode and it just now dawned on me oh yeah this happened you know many years before black panther yeah she's supposed to be like 10 yeah that didn't dawn on me until just now thanks sp 
Yeah, 10 and like ridiculously smarter than me, so that's not even fair. Right. But those two getting together, we don't have any kind of confirmation, really, what's the other, or at least, or even how many episodes are going to get a second part in season two, do we at all? We know that they're going to do more than one. <laughs> we know that Captain Carter is going to be one because mm-hmm. they said we're going to bring this forward and they know we are going to be doing more than one. I think some of it will depend on what happens in the next three episodes, which we can speculate in a second. So moving on, Lauren, you came away from this with a very specific feeling. So I wrote in the notes, this is the first episode that left me feeling kind of hopeless at the end. And in full disclosure, I was having a really bad mental health day earlier. There, some bad stuff happened. I was like, okay, I need to de-stress. Let me put this on. And kind of a mistake because it just left me like I was already crying because, oh, so T'Challa's dead. That's great. And then Killmonger's winning. And it's like, on the one hand, I want to root for him because we talked about this in the Black Panther episode. It's like, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. You're just going about this in a really terrible way. And so it's like you have basically the Empire Strikes Back bad guy winning moment. And yeah, we get the Luke and Leia at the end of Empire to continue with a metaphor with Shuri and Pepper. But I was just so bummed out by then. (laughs) Like as we're talking about it more. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did like this part. I liked this part. But just as a whole, I just felt so kind of down after watching it. And that's not usually how Marvel stuff leaves me feeling. The reason I was asking about what's getting a second episode possibly later is that, I mean, outside of Captain Carter, which everybody kind of knew that was going to get another one. This one, I think, so far at least, is the one that really feels like it was made to have another part to go with it. Like, this doesn't really feel like the end of a story. It feels like somebody just arbitrarily said, okay, here's the end of the book that we're serializing. It kind of has that same feel as the uh, What If the Avengers All Died one, where you leave off in a place where you're like, okay, but now what happens? I want to know. What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? I just had to look up the title. That's the third episode that happened there. That was the end with Loki. And then at the very end, you had Fury with Loki's rule in the world. And you have Fury going to find Captain America and Steve Rogers. And then Captain Marvel's right behind him at the end. So there is some hope in that one. I think there's a good feeling at the end of the second one with T'Challa becoming Star-Lord. Doctor Strange, you know, he's alone in his little universe. And zombies, I still don't get that ending. Nobody's explained it well to me. Uh, I get that you have a few Avengers together at the end that can be used in the future if needed, but I'm not even sure that that particular episode can go any further. This one certainly can, because I think you need to get Shuri and Pepper Potts together to prevent the Jericho missiles from uh, going to Wakanda. And I don't even know if they get through the shield or not. But anyway. So I would agree that this would have a second part to it, but a couple other ones might have a second part to it. And and like I said, it does depend on what happens in the next three episodes because some of these universes could be taken care of, for lack of a better term, as we go forward. Uh, I stand by my prediction that in the future that they're 
could be a team up at the end, possibly called the Guardians of the Multiverse. I'll just leave it at that. So with that, Jason, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? It it was it was a fine episode. I haven't been just blown away by any of the what if episodes, and I was really looking forward to this series whenever they had it announced and that it was going to be an animated series. Again, I think uh, I think the half hour episode length really hurts it. I don't think you can tell a good complicated story, at least a good complicated or a good complex, not complicated, let's go with complex story within a half an hour all at once. I think I think you need more time with that. The, the the episodes are fine, some are better than others, but none have really blown me away and I'm not racing to go see the next episode whenever it drops, like I have with some other series. I would caution you in that next week will probably be the one that you want to go rush to see. Now, I don't know for sure. It could be a stinker, but I think that's the one that will turn the tide in terms of this, in my opinion. Chris, okay. final thoughts. Well, two things. First, don't forget that before Marvel Zombies, IMDb said we were having a Thor episode. So... You could be seeing a lie. But more importantly, with this episode specifically, I feel like they wasted a lot of time talking about the Tony from the MCU that we've seen and, oh, look at all the stuff that he's not going to do. I mean, that's a lot of story time in a half hour episode that they really could have used for this. I will say that Tony Stark, the character Tony Stark, is not faring well in any of these what if stories so far. No, he's so not. So just like fan fiction. <laughs> As long as we don't get the giant arc of him being an alcoholic in this, I'll oh. be okay. Well, I mean, they, they did, though, because he was on yeah. stage doing the presentation with a glass of scotch. He even gets killed with a glass of scotch. Hey, there's a regular alcoholic and I mean, there's a giant alcoholic. he doesn't get alcoholic. killed with the glass of scotch. He <laughs> dies while he has a glass of scotch. Killmonger didn't kill him with scotch. Just thought I'd clarify. He killed him with a spear, which, by the way... The location that he was stabbed in is not a location that would kill you. So Killmonger had stabbed him through the right shoulder. Okay, first of all, it is perfectly possible to get stabbed right here underneath your clavicle and honestly not have too much damage. It's kind of a hollow spot right there. I mean, yeah, you're going to be tearing muscle, chipping bone, but you'll be fine. And your heart is on the other side and lower. And I basically threw a fit kind of like I'm doing now. So I think what they wanted to do, if you read that scene, and I'll have to go back and watch it again, but I think Killmonger stabbed Tony in the stomach to finalize it, but they didn't want to show that on screen. So I think there was some storytelling and revising of the animation that happened. That might be the the movement. I took it as kind of driving the spear in deeper and like twisting it or something. Mm. But again, in that location, you're fine. I mean, not fine. You've been stabbed through the shoulder. But comparatively, I just assumed it was plot magic. I have very strong feelings on biological accuracy in <laughs> movies and TV. There's one point that we forgot to bring up, and Chris, this is your point, and I don't want to gloss over it. The Watcher. You've noticed something with The Watcher. <laughs> oh, that's right. The Watcher is getting so much more solid. But, I mean, looking back on it, I should have noticed in all the other episodes that he's kind of getting a fade back in from pure shadow to solid actual creature. But I mean, where everything else was taking a step or two, I think this one took at least five. 
And so all of a sudden you've got a nice, solid, actual watcher looking watcher. Yep. Okay. Lauren, you have anything else to say? Initially, I don't like this episode as much as I've liked some of the others, which is a shame because I love Killmonger. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it again when I am not in a bad place and see if I like it then. And until then, I will continue to read Killmonger Gets Raised by a Loving Supportive Family fanfic. Okay, so next week we're going to be talking here on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. What If Episode 7. Chris, you're absolutely right. I might have been misled by a lot of things out there, and you're right that we are supposed to get a Thor episode, and I believe we're supposed to get a She-Hulk episode, so I think those might be the next two, and then we might finally get to the one that I'm thinking will be the payoff. I'll believe it on the Wednesdays when they come out. I know, because we've been burned before, but what if episode seven next week? In the meantime, we got some Marvel news to get to. I actually combined a heck of a lot of sources to put all this information together to try to succinctly get several different concepts together. And it stems off of Marvel Shang-Chi's box office, the Black Widow box office, and then future release dates for Marvel movies. So hang on, guys. I'll go through this really quick and then we can talk about it. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings avoided the same box office collapse the Black Widow suffered in its second weekend at the box office. Now, Shang-Chi earned a total of $34.7 million domestically, according to Box Office Mojo. I know there's been different numbers floated out there in its second box office weekend, falling only 54% from its premiere weekend. Shang-Chi has now earned a total of 144. $5 million domestically and $259 million worldwide. In comparison, Black Widow fell 68% in its second box office weekend, but benefited from a healthy $60 million from the Disney Plus premiere sales in its premiere weekend. This is all comparative for post-COVID box office. Other Disney second weekend drops have been varied. Jungle Cruise, lost 55% in its second week. Cruella, 49%. Free Guy, 35%. These were all significantly lower box office takes too, by the way. Universal's F9, which opened to $70 million in June, dropped 57% on its second weekend to $30.1 million in the second week. Now let's go pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, Marvel releases have traditionally held well in their second weekends. Endgame declined 59%, Captain Marvel 56%, Thor Ragnarok 54%, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 56%, Doctor Strange 50%, Ant-Man 57%, Black Panther was the most successful and it only fell 45% in the second weekend after opening to what was then the biggest Marvel opening weekend at $202 million over a President's Day holiday. Now, the strength of Shang-Chi's Labor Day weekend opening seems to have inspired Disney to commit to debuting its remaining theatrical releases exclusively in theaters for the rest of 2021, including Marvel Studios Eternals. Disney has announced that the rest of its domestic release slate for 2021 will honor a theatrical window ranging from a minimum, one a footstop minimum, 
of 30 days to 45 days per film. Now, the 30-day window only applies to Encanto, and that's according to Variety. Now, the term minimum seems to point to the fact that Disney could extend that 30 to 45-day window should the box office prove to be hits and there is an audience that wants to attend in person. So a lot to drop there. First of all, Shang-Chi has been a very successful movie, even removing the pandemic. It's done better than Black Widow. It has not been on Disney Plus yet, so they have not had a premiere box office with it. And then because of that, they have decided that all the rest of Disney's releases will be in theater and they will not go to Disney Plus for the premiere. I'm not happy about that. So, first of all, we still have a pandemic going on. And, okay, I'm disabled. I have chronic pain. I have joint problems. And one of the things that the disabled community has been seeing in this past year and a half is accessibility finally becoming available. You can have online classes. You can have you know, movies coming to streaming and people who are housebound or have suppressed immune systems or, you know, just whatever are able to partake in online conventions and streaming movies and just all of this stuff. Of course, the second that Disney, that anyone sees profit in it, that's getting just yanked away again. So I know the reason that Disney's doing this is because of, you know, the almighty dollar and because they have, as you were seeing with the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit, they don't want to have to renegotiate things. But this is screwing over a lot of people, even disregarding just the disabled community, the pandemic. It's. I want movie theaters to survive because I do like the movie theater experience, but I don't want to have to put my health on the line every time I want to watch a new Marvel movie. That's not right. Yeah. So we discussed this a couple of weeks ago on SADC about the difference between the Shang-Chi opening and the Black Widow opening. And we were discussing the difference between the having the Disney Plus along with the theater release as well as as uh, so Ch- Shang Chi is not going to be out for forty five days until or on Disney Plus until forty five days after release, and we were speculating on whether they were going to do that with with future releases. And now I guess we have our answer, but I'm not sure exactly what their reasoning is. If it's just for box office receipts, because you have to understand that the movie studios don't get hundred percent of those box office revenues. They only get about half of that. And so releasing that on their streaming platform, any, anything that they get released on the streaming platform, they get all of that. That's pure profit. And not only that, but it's, it's $30 or it was $30 for black widow. Whenever they released, uh, whenever you rent, uh, well, I guess you technically purchased it because you can watch it from now on, on Disney plus. So they get all of that $30. They only get half of the, 10 to $15 that you pay for a ticket at the box office. I haven't recently looked to see if they had released numbers, although I think you said like 60 million on opening weekend for Disney plus or black widow. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that on top of the Black Widow box office for the first week was a pretty decent opening, if that's the case. I think most of this probably has to has to do with what's in the actual contracts that they produced before they started shooting the movie because they produced those contracts before the pandemic hit. And so there may be clauses in those contracts that say that they have to do a theatrical release only and not on the streaming services. I don't know. I'm not privy to those contracts. But if you're looking at it from just a straight dollars and cents, it makes a lot more sense that they would want to co-release it both in theaters and on their streaming platform because ultimately they get more of the gross that way. I can't imagine that any of the actors or directors or anybody involved would have a problem with going and renegotiating, you know, having the streaming release in there, assuming that everybody is negotiating in good faith. Now, that is a big assumption, and I realize that, but, I mean, you're getting that much money from releasing it on Disney+. Plus. So, a couple of things. First of all, remember, the Russo brothers broke off negotiations on their ensemble movie deal until the factor of streaming could be taken into account. So it is impacting current negotiations right now. And until they get it solved, you might see a little impasse. I don't know. So that's number one. The other thing that we're all just not taking into account here, and I just want to mention it, is the huge issue of piracy. So as far as Disney's concerned, they think that is a huge factor of why there was such a big drop from week one to week two in the Black Widow box office. So if you can solve the piracy issue, then it might help things. But as it is now, if you wanted to go out there and see it for free that second weekend, which I did not, I paid for it, then the first weekend, then you would have that opportunity to do. I refuse to do that. Well, there's also like some people, like a friend of mine, you know, we went to the movie, we really loved it, and she wanted to watch it like a million more times. So when she got home, she paid the 30 bucks and just kept watching it. It doesn't incentivize going back to the movie. If you know you like it, you know you're going to watch it a bunch more, you can just pay the extra for streaming. Now, originally when I bought it, I thought I was going to be the only one that watched it on my Disney Plus account. It turns out that everybody had, that had access to one of my TVs ended up watching it in the time period that you would in the, within the 45 days. And I'm talking about black widow here. Yeah. I did end up saving a significant amount of money by buying the $30, but originally it was just going to be me. And even if I watched it three times, that would be $10 a time there. And in reality, I've seen the Marvel releases in theater once or maybe twice in the last couple of years. And then after that, that's, that's been it. And I wait for it to come out on video. So that's just me personally. That's my own story, but I don't know what the trends are. Like everybody went to go see infinity war and Endgame several different times in the theater. So I don't know what's going to happen here, but because of what happened with Shang-Chi and without taking into account what might or may not happen this fall with the pandemic, they are going to go ahead. And then here on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we are going to abide by the 45-day embargo, I guess, until it comes out on uh, Disney Plus on, on Premiere. 
And uh, we are not going to mandate any of the agents or anybody that's going to review it to have to go to the theater. They can if they want, but if they don't want to, then we are going to wait on that. So you won't see a review on Shang-Chi for another, I don't know, what is it, four weeks at this point? Something like. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, moving on, also within the MCU, but looking into the future, hopefully very post-pandemic. Marvel announced four unknown films scheduled for 2024. Now, these films were scheduled for February 16th, 2024, May 3rd, 2024, July 26th, 2024, and November 8th, 2024. So far, the last film that has been scheduled to release is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is scheduled to release on May 5th, 2023. So there's a significant amount of time between Guardians of the Galaxy and that February 16th date. Now, that given that there are four titles that have not been placed with a date, but there has been four dates out there, I just want to throw it out there to you guys. And I'm going to start with Chris. What four movies you think are going to be out there in 2024? Well, despite what I told you pre-show, I'm going to roll with the answer I gave on Twitter because I still mostly go with that. And I'm going to stand behind it. So first off, we're going to have Spider-Man. We want your money. We're going to have Captain Marvel. Yes, we have a female hero. Deal with it. We're going to have Miss Marvel. We swear this is different, but most of you are not going to be able to get past this. And Hulk featuring just enough of another character to not be a solo film. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. That was pretty funny. Jason, do you have any thoughts on which four movies will be 2024? Yeah, so I'm sure we'll have another Spider-Man movie because uh, Sony likes that movie as much as Disney does, or money as much as Disney does. So I agree, but I don't think it's one of these four. I think because Sony is their own thing, I don't think the MCU schedules their releases. Possibly, yeah. Okay. I don't think Sony does it completely independently either, though. Right. I think this is going to be probably the beginning of phase five. So I, I imagine probably a, a Spider-Man movie, probably a Dr. Strange movie, because I think Dr. Strange is going to be the new Tony Stark. He's going to be basically the, the ringleader of, of the, the phases. You know, I, I may be eating my, my own words whenever I said that I don't think they're going to do an X-Men movie before phase six because of the, the stink that, you know, Fox has put on the X-Men franchise, but it's possible that, you know, one of these four movies might be an X-Men title. Um, For the fourth one, probably one of their, one of their multi-character titles. Okay. Probably a, probably a group up. Lauren, I'm counting on you. Bring it home. Okay. I think for sure we will be getting blade because we've had the director talking a lot about, Hey, this is what we're planning to do. And you don't really plan that closely unless you have like an end site end date, I think. So I think that I'm thinking X-Men, maybe not like a purely X-Men movie, but bringing in the mutants, I think is something we might get. Deadpool three is on here. I agree with that. We know they're talking about that. And that's enough time to give them a plan of what they're going to do. And I kind of want to get a magic team up movie with like Doctor Strange, Wanda, bring in Brother Voodoo, bring in magic from X-Men. I mean, 
I would really like to see, since we're seeing Marvel get into the weird stuff with the magic and the quantum realm, just give us a weird magic mashup. It'll be great. I like that. Maybe some of the Eternals in there as well. Bring in Nico from Runaways. Yeah, the Eternals. Oh, yeah. Come on. It'll be great. Especially if they open the door to that with the Doctor Strange in the multiverse. Alternately, I don't know. I don't think this would be a movie. I think it would work better as a TV series. Young Avengers. I think we're headed for that. I think we're headed for that. It's just a question of one, when, and two, movie or TV show. I would rather see a TV show, honestly. Me too, but I didn't think about that. that it, depending on how Feige is thinking of in terms of, because in Feige's head, he's not just going to 2024. In his head, he's going to 2030 or maybe beyond yeah. that. So maybe he's thinking that. I don't know. Uh, anyway, on Twitter, I gave movie titles with dates. So this is what I said. February 16th, 2024, Deadpool 3. The reason I said that is the previous two Deadpools have been on Valentine's Day weekend. I'm just thinking that could be it there for Deadpool 3. May 3rd, 2024, just going with like the Civil War and some of the ensemble movies that have been released before. I said Captain America with Sam Wilson. I assume that's going to be a minorly ensemble movie. Maybe not a full-blown one, but a minorly one. So I put that on May 3rd. Uh, July 26th, I put Blade. And then on November 8th, I think that Marvel is trying to make this a big one. And they're trying to do it right. And they're going to have to do a ton of PR in order to get there from here. But in November is their big money-making movie. And I think they're going to put Fantastic Four there. Now, this is just my predictions. This is all four of our predictions for 2024. But uh, that is what I went with. And I went with those because those are the ones that have been slated to be in development right now. But I do like some of the other options that you guys went. Chris, you're just great. I mean, bring in the funny. I mean, you can't argue with that. You got to get yourself distracted while you're at work. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) So also with Marvel movies, but not with Marvel, with non-Marvel studios, Sony came in and they said they won't send any of their blockbusters directly to streaming platforms. And this will include Spider-Man. So Sony Pictures Entertainment CEO, Tony Vinci Cura, I think that's how you say it, is insisting Spider-Man Far From Home, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and other blockbusters will retain their theater exclusivity window and not go straight to streaming. He did point out the rise in piracy rates, which I mentioned before, and also he said that Sony is in a unique position as it does not have a streaming service of its own, which we pointed out on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. before. So that might be a factor as well. However, he did say that it puts them in a tremendous bargaining position. So if they do have a big blockbuster that maybe another streaming service would want, that they could bargain for rates at that point, and it could be a driving force in the market. Whereas right now you have like HBO making their own decisions with Warner Brothers. You have Disney Plus making their own decisions. You have Paramount Plus making their own decisions. Sony can come in and say, hey, no, we think it should be this. And they could either drive it up or down or whatever. It was also impacted, I think, by the Shang-Chi box office. Any thoughts on Sony? Yeah, I agree. They don't have a streaming platform. So where are they going to release it? I mean, that's. Uh, they would they would have to split revenue with another streaming platform if they were going to co-release it with the box office date. So yeah, it makes total sense for Sony to not do this. I'm still skeptical on the whole piracy excuse. 
I think they're just throwing that out there just because they don't they don't like piracy. But I'm skeptical that the that's actually siphoning off a lot of dollars from what they would have would have would have gotten anyway. Now that you say it, it is pretty easy to screen capture something on your computer at home, right? With a screen capture software, but it's also easy to go into a movie theater with your mobile phone mm-hmm. and point it at yeah. the screen. Yeah, it's easier to do that than it was when I was, you know, a kid. And God knows I watched plenty of bootleg movies as a kid. It's <sighs> I did not, although there were the HBO free weekends, so. I mean, my parents had tons of things that they taped off of those HBO free weekends, and they were just sitting there next <laughs> to all the other tapes in our house that they legitimately bought. Well, we had those two, but I also lived uh, on the border for a while, and it was super easy to go across and just get a bootleg for like $2. And you're talking about the border between the United States and China, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, clearly, yes. <laughs> uh, Lauren, you had stepped up and you said there is one new story that i want to take lead on and this is it okay so we have our first official disney plus hawkeye trailer it came out a couple days ago i am so hype have you all seen it oh yeah yes yes Yes. okay so it looks good it has a very diehard feel to it it takes place at christmas this version of Hawkeye is seeming a lot more like the Matt Fraction Hawkeye version. That's my favorite version of Hawkeye. So I'm very excited. We get our look at Kate Bishop. We know that we are getting Lucky the Pizza Dog. And we'll see if Yelena shows up. Ugh, I'm so excited. I, I really, really love the Fraction Aja Hawkeye comics. They're just, they're so good. And I just want something with that fun kind of madcap feel to it. And this trailer looks like it's delivering. Jason, you're nodding your head, buddy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I I love the Christmas theme. This may be a classic Christmas show that you go back to every year uh, during Christmas time. I'm going to be super disappointed if they don't have Yelena in the the series because they, they teased that hard at the end of Black Widow. And so if they don't deliver, I'm really going to be disappointed. But this does, does look like a fun holiday series that, but I mean, what if I was really hyped on whenever they announced it and I saw some trailers and that's been kind of disappointing. I hope, I hope that this isn't going to be as much of a letdown as, as what if is. I, I, I hope that my, my hype on this is, is well-lived. I haven't really read much Hawkeye. So, I mean, everything that I know from him pretty much is MCU, but I have a bunch of my friends excited about the Kate Bishop stuff, and the hype from them is enough to get me excited for this. Yeah, it would have been great enough for Kate Bishop, but I, okay, just, I mean, go to your local library, something, they might have it, look up the first volume of Matt Fraction and David Aja's Hawkeye comics. It's very. You can tell it from the rest because it has this very kind of minimalist art style to the covers, and it's funny, and it's heartwarming, and it's it actually features Deaf Hawkeye. There's a whole issue where he's just using sign language, and then some people have apparently like you know done the whole shot-by-shot thing for this and seen Clint with his... Um, what's the word it's not your plugs hearing aids 
in. So I'm very happy. Give us more disabled superheroes. I love the scene where Kate Bishop is trying to do good and she does the club arrow into the bell tower and rings the bell and then the bell ringing causes the tower to disintegrate. That's like classic Avengers trying to do good and then just destroying stuff. Yes, it's that whole just kind of hapless like, oh my God, I'm trying and everything is just, I'm barely keeping up and it's weirdly relatable for a superhero story. And it looks like that's going to be following through to the show. And uh, yes, I'm I'm going to have to go reread the Fraction run after this. This is, uh, it's so good. And the other scene that's just sticking out of my head is when they're driving in the car, they're being chased and whatever. And then she's rummaging through the quiver trying to find arrows. And he's like, not that one, not that one, because they're too <laughs> explosive. And she picks one out and she shoots it and it explodes the car, the armored car, whatever that was following him. And she's like, there are arrows more destructive than that. So that was that was fun. I can't wait for this. This is going to be fun. And then I just have an inkling at the very end when we get our coda scene or scenes that we'll start to see some of that Young Avengers stuff to come together at the end. I'm hoping. Uh, moving on back to what if we got to go back to what if for a second. So showrunner AC Bradley regrets one thing about Doctor Strange in a ScreenRant.com article. She says that in the Doctor Strange What If episode that she wrote in February of 2019, she wished she would have called it a nexus point instead of an absolute point with Christine's death, and that would have made the continuity better. I'm thinking this is Disney. They control Disney+. Plus. They've done it before. They can yeah. go in. <laughs> go in and George Lucas that. Yes. Yeah. I think that would uh, help with the continuity if, indeed, What If is supposed to be MCU and it's supposed Just to be. Just go back and redub it poorly, like, blah, 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 this nexus point. <laughs> <laughs> AC Bradley herself saying, <laughs> nexus point. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. All right, moving on to a couple of quick casting notes of former Marvel alumni. Haley Atwell, who, of course, played Peggy Carter. She's going to voice Laura Croft in Netflix anime series Tomb Raider. Woo! I didn't even know this was happening, but I'm all... I, I, I love it. I, I've never actually played Laura Croft, but I watch the movies, and I'm all about the Laura Croft character. The current games that just came out that were co-written by Rihanna Pratchett are so fun. Like... I'm only vaguely familiar with the original Tomb Raider series. A friend of mine used to play it and get scared because the butler would always be running around. But this kind of reboot sort of of Lara Croft, it's very physical, very interesting. I dig it so much. And you can frequently get the games on sale on Steam. So, Chris, I think we found my, my way of getting on your show. We'll do it. Okay. Jason, any thoughts on Laura Croft here and Haley Atwell? I like the Laura Croft movies uh, or the Tomb Raider movies. The ones with Angelina Jolie were fine. I haven't seen the one, the newest one that they made. It's all right. Alicia Vikander is really good as Laura. It's based more on the more recent games. Definitely not as cheesy as the Angelina movies, but still fun. Yeah, the, the, the Angelina movies were just fun, turn-your-brain-off action flicks. And I played Tomb Raider, the first three Tomb Raiders that came out. And I hate platforms, but, I mean, they were entertaining enough for me to get past my hatred of platforms, platformers to, to play them. So I'll probably watch it. The 
new movie I haven't seen yet, but I know they try to desexualize the Laura Croft character and, and make her a little bit more normal. Yeah, she doesn't have the giant triangle boobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's Laura Croft. Okay, as someone with a larger chest, ow, the thought of doing <laughs> all that running and jumping and in just a tank top, no sports bra or anything, like, ow. Yes, definitely ow. But also as someone old, PS1 era graphics, what can you do? One of my favorite cosplay pictures that I've ever seen is someone who dressed as PS1 Lara Croft and they were basically just wearing cardboard boxes. Yeah. Like <laughs> triangle cardboard boxes out in front. I could see that. Also, Disney has cast Rosaria Dawson and Owen Wilson, who are both Marvel alumni in uh, Disney Plus and with the Defenders universe in Disney's new Haunted Mansion movie. I'm actually pretty excited about this. Haunted Mansion is one of my favorite rides at Disney World. But that's all it is. It's a, it's a ride at Disney. They're basing a movie yep. on the ride. Yeah. So was Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. the high-end jungle cruise. Country bears. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, Disney's just running out of ideas. They're just going, okay, what rides can we make movies? Uh, a Hall of Presidents, but they're killers. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I'm going to go write that down. That's like <laughs> Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, right? That was kind a of, good movie. That was fun. add in robots. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh my god, they're killer robots who hunt vampires. So yeah, Disney is definitely cashing in on this. But Yeah, now that we're done pitching our sci-fi original movie, back to the story. <laughs> so that's it for the news. Let's talk about a little bit of feedback and then we'll get on out of here. Oh yeah. On Twitter, we posted, what is your favorite What If official episode so far? And Mr. Paracletes responded, T'Challa Star-Lord. Same. Yeah, I think it's close. I did. I know a lot of people didn't like the Captain Carter episode. I did like that because it just took their relationship from a different standpoint, but it's hard to compete with T'Challa. Chris, you have anything else? T'Challa is a really good one, um, despite my gut-wrenching reaction to it. Doctor Strange is a really good one. I think most of the people who didn't like Captain Carter were the same people who didn't like Captain Marvel for the same reasons, and this is not the show to go into that. <laughs> okay. Jason, did you have a favorite? I know you're disappointed, but did you have a favorite episode so far of the six? Not really a favorite. I mean, the one that I liked the most, I think, was Doctor Strange. I think they told a... That's that's probably this the episode that they told the best story with. It was. How did that one not bum me out if this one did? I just, uh, okay. I mean, for the same reason that um, Inside Out, for some reason, I cannot watch that movie. That's such a heart-wrenching movie. You can't watch the first five minutes of Up now either. Oh, I never could anyway, so that's nothing new. Oh, speaking of crying at the drop of a hat. (laughs) So Badger Spoon on Twitter replied to us as a response from last week's episode and he said the ant-man appearance in what if zombies very much reminded me of nathan fillion and later alan tudyk in santa clarita diet that's been on my to watch list for so long i need to actually watch it he included a picture and it speaks a thousand words and i'll just leave mm-hmm. it at that it'll be a link will be in the show notes 
Badger Spoon also said regarding Shuma Gorath, I think the Doctor Strange episode was a more or less direct take on the run in the comics when Strange used dark magic to absorb the powers of other sorcerers and multiple demons, ultimately consuming Shuma Gorath itself. Which I think is going to be interesting because we've seen Shuma Gorath at least three times. So I think we're going to see Shuma again before the series is over. And then also on Twitter, we posted some up this week's what if episode. What if Killmogger rescued Tony Stark in one word? Go. <laughs> there were two responses at VB or V. V. Babinets said Shuri with an exclamation point. Can't argue with that. And then uh, at X Vanguard Omega X replied and said uninspired, which Jason, I believe you would agree with. I think I, yeah, I would agree with that. All right. I think we've been here long enough. Lauren, do you have an idea of what we should all do right now? I'm going to say we take a note from Killmonger's book and quadruple cross each other on the way out. it's been a fun podcast thank you everybody for staying with us until the end jason i want to thank you once again you came in at the last minute and you said i haven't even watched the episode but dang it i am gonna come on your show so thank you very much for coming on no problem thanks for having me and where can people find your lovely two podcasts that you have so you can find us at creativebraincandy.com for both smoking and drinking in capes and smoking and drinking in space or Smoking and drinking in space.com and smoking and drinking in capes.com. It's good to have those URLs. Chris, thank you very much for joining us and thank you for taking this ride with us the last seven weeks. Hey, thanks for letting me go on the ride with you. It's been fun. You know, I was looking forward to this. I'm still looking forward to what's going on now, probably even more so. Indeed. So if people really want to hear you more, where would they go? Well, they can head on over to playcomics.com where most of the time I'm grabbing a guest and we're looking at a video game based on a comic. But also, a lot of the time I'm grabbing a cool creator person and we're talking about their stuff. By the time this episode comes out, you should be able to hear an episode where I talk to Peter Milligan about a new book that he has coming out with Vault. Ooh. And sneak preview, he does not eat cheese. I didn't know that. But you told me about that earlier. Oh. Yeah. Good catch. Good catch. And Lauren? Thank you to everybody who has listened to us, tweeted us. We hope that we make your day a little better because every time we hear from you, you definitely make our days better. So thank you. Indeed. And thank you very much for sticking with us throughout the what if. And uh, we are definitely going to be doing Hawkeye in November. In between here and there, we have a couple of surprises for you, so stay tuned for that. Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Consultant Chris. And I'm Consultant Jason. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. 
The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Hello. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. How are you? I'm very excited for December now. For Hawkeye? Uh, no, for Batgirls. Uh, I know this is a Marvel show, but DC is kind of winning my heart right now. Really? Yeah. I am still reeling from everything DC. Well, I'm, I'm strictly thinking in comics right now. Okay. And DC had some, some decent books going on, even through their crap movies. Yeah. And TV shows and universes. We don't need to think about the TV shows anymore. Well, some people like Titans. Some people like, uh, what is it? Superman and Lois. I haven't seen Superman and Lois yet. Titans. We saw the first season. We haven't gotten around to starting the second season. I haven't seen any of it because, like I said, I'm burnt out. Didn't want to be burnt out, but I am. So, so be it. I'm here, and now I can hear you. Oh, good. Now that you're here, I have a horrible story to tell you. Oh, good. So. I'm glad I didn't miss um, the horrible story. So, I'm recording with Peter Milligan, and we get like 10, 15 minutes into it, and I look over at my monitor, and it's not recording. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And you need to get yourself a PodTrack B4. The Onwecaster that I use was recording. And I ended okay. up using, I'm like halfway between using that and using my local recording anyway. So quality there doesn't really matter. So I've got it, but I did have a little bit of a freak out because it just wasn't recording. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I've been there. Luckily, I had a backup, but ugh. all right, everybody record. Yep. Chris, are you recording? Yep. Yep. I'm just tweeting a thing jason are you recording is it just me or did he freeze i think he froze that, that's what my head turn was for i hope we didn't lose south dakota probably be a little bit harder than losing florida <laughs> i don't know i mean the russian icbms come over the pole right so that is true we need to wait till i learn more russian maybe or i need to learn my russian faster before that actually starts happening it's really easy just watch red dawn what good pajosta i'm not that good yet vodka please ah i can ask for vodka and tea in russian and i can say hello and thank you i'll keep my russian to myself and now i'm trying to teach myself japanese in addition to learning russian and spanish okay i'm gonna kick him like just about every geek um at one point i Decided I wanted to learn Japanese, and then <laughs> I decided that subs were good enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, learning hiragana right now. Hiragana? Kanji. Kanji right now. That's the other reason I decided not to. Yeah, hiragana is a lot. Kanji, it's just the sounds, so it's, 
it's easier. Just the fact that there's multiple ways to do it was enough to kick me out. Yeah, and then there's the Romanji. <laughs> so I'll read all my translated manga, but then I'll go read Soviet propaganda stuff. Because why not? <laughs> that reminds me, I need to finish reading that um, The Lord of the Rings AU from the point of view of... Oh, yeah. I have it. I read like the first couple chapters and then I got distracted and that was like five years ago. And Jason is having some issues with his PC. He will be with us shortly. Oh, maybe I am learning. So in second or third grade, I, I don't remember what year it was. I did a giant report with three. It was my first group report. And I did a group report with like three other kids. And I don't know how I'm remembering this on China. And the reason <laughs> I did that is because we had learned how many people China had in it. Like, I believe close to a billion at the time, and the world had like three point whatever billion people. Yeah, the world had like half the people. Right, and then uh, China had like a quarter of it all, right? So we did it, and I just figured that in the future that we would be speaking Chinese. And lo and behold, you know, stuff like Firefly comes on later or whatever. But that was just a short period of time. And then after that, I just didn't pick up any Chinese, which I'm regretting now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Because I hit record and then everything blew up. So I don't know what happened. Are you recording now? I am recording now. Yeah, I've been Ooh. recording. We all learned that we're learning weird languages for no good reason. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. I know this is long. Thank y'all. We don't even notice that, you know. <laughs> it's a fun show. It's a fun show. I mean, great conversation. You guys are excellent together you guys should be paid to do this <laughs> oh well if you're offering <laughs> i'll offer the same thing that uh steven offers me 25 cents per episode <laughs> that's more than i'm getting well, right it's more than i'm making now so <laughs> sold you go What If Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark, Season 1, Episode 6 of What If, premiered on Disney Plus, Wednesday, September 9th, 2021. IMDb describes the episode as an American soldier called Killmonger rescues Tony Stark when his Humvee is attacked in Afghanistan. You're a little bit off on the date. What If Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark, Season 1, Episode 6 of the What If series, premiered on Disney Plus Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. The IMD description of the episode reads, An American soldier called Killmonger rescues Tony Stark when his Humvee is intact in Afghanistan. Now, moving on, we had John Connie as Chikaka. Tachaka. Chikaka. Tachaka. Go ahead. <laughs> we had John Connie returning as Tachaka, the king of Wakanda. And Lauren? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really tired. Okay. I'll, um, let, let me Thank go. you to everybody who has listened to us, tweeted us. We hope that we make your day a little better because every time we hear from you, you definitely make our days better. So thank you. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2021.